This is the Chicago Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Thank you for downloading this episode of Out Front with AJ and Nick. I am Nick Sarantos, Editor-in-Chief of Chicago Podcast Network. Joined over the interwebs and Skype by my good buddy, AJ Zignari. AJ, four days out. Say hi to the people. Hey, everyone. And the anxiety is building. The, the, the world is crumbling. The Trump, the, the Trump polls are getting closer, and, and the world seems darker and sadder. But that's not what we're doing today. We're going to... In honor of what The Daily Show did last night, and we kind of put our show up uh, with one of their videos, uh, races that you don't care about, that you should, things that you're not paying attention to because of the presidential election. And today we're going to focus on an issue that is very important and very near and dear to both AJ and my heart, and it is uncontested races in state legislators uh, across the country, but we're going to focus it a little bit more here in Illinois by looking at some of the other states and what they do uh, as far as laws that are passed by local government. Now, this is not a topic that we are presenting to you, though I will take credit, AJ, for The Daily Show doing literally the same day we did. Two days in a row, we did a show about elections people's been paying attention to. And then that night, The Daily Show ran a whole clip. And I just want to say that we're on the same level as them. I just want to point that out. Well, uh, I could have told you that. I'm just saying. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so before we get started on this topic, we thought it'd be fun to play you this uh, couple-minute clip here. This is from an episode of Last Week Tonight with John Oliver from about a year ago, and it's from, an epi- it's from a piece that you can find on YouTube called State Legislators and ALEC, and while most of the piece deals with the fact that a lot of state legislators, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, um, get their bills from a website called ALEC, uh, we wanted to bring you just the end of this piece where he talks about the 2014 midterm elections and how people are running unopposed. This is from from last week tonight. Everything that Alec does, it's pathetic. At this point, at this point, it's clear. Between the bad behavior and the lack of accountability, states are not so much the laboratories of democracy as the frat houses of democracy. And yet they get no attention. And perhaps that's because it's very hard for us to be angry with people whose names we don't know. And if you're thinking, well, okay, now I'll pay more attention before going to vote on Tuesday, that's great. Unfortunately, for many of you, it's too late. Because an estimated 25% of the candidates on Tuesday are running unopposed. Their sole political asset is that they exist and they're going to win. So with that in mind, with that in mind, let's call some races. Because you know what? Even though polls don't close for another two days, and most people haven't even started voting yet, with 0% of precincts reporting, we can call some winners. So let's do it. Let's do it. Remember the uh, Florida dwarf-tossing guy? His name is Rich Workman. He's running unopposed, so he wins. Uh, Remember the lady in Oklahoma with the interesting theories on black prison population? Winner. Uh, The Islam is a cancer guy? Winner. Uh, the alleged drunk-driving Rhode Island condom thief and his angry friend, winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> and this is just the beginning, because we can call over a thousand races across America. He's a winner. She's a winner. All these people are winners. So congratulations to all of you for defeating the very concept of nothing. Congratulations, one and all. We look forward to you wielding a terrifying amount of influence for the next several years. All right, so that again was from last week tonight with John Oliver talking about unopposed races and how at that point there were a thousand races that were uncontested. Just to give you guys an idea of how big this problem is here in the state of Illinois, this is from the Illinois Herald. The following state uh, representative districts, these are for your state senators, the people who go down to Springfield, are currently running unopposed. And just to prove to you how big this is, I'm going to name or read off all of the numbers. Districts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 13, 14, 16, 17, 19, 21, 22, 23, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 43, 44, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 57, 58, 64, 65, 67, 70, 73, 78, 80, 82, 83, 85, 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, 91, 92, 97, 98, 100, 102, 103, 104, 105, 106, 107, 108, 109, 110, 111, and 116. Just so you guys know, there's 118 
in the state of Illinois. All of those districts are running unopposed. Now, the AJ, you would know this better than I do. The majority right now in the Illinois State House is Republican heavy, correct? Uh, yes, it is. Okay. Here is the thing about these things, about these groups running unopposed. You heard him mention very briefly in the John Oliver piece an organization named ALEC, which is a legislative, it stands for the American Legislative Exchange Council. Now, what these guys do is they bring, they supposedly bring people together to talk about important issues, but they also submit bills as on behalf of their organization to essentially guide Republican and conservative people as to what laws should be passed to further a conservative nationwide agenda. And there have been instances, and it's reported in the John Oliver piece that we quoted from there, where laws are not just suggested by these groups, but they straight up just wipe off the names on top and put in the congressman or the state representative's name and turn it in. Now, this has happened in Illinois a couple times. This is happening all across the country. But the reason that this stuff is important is that you have people now who are in districts that wield a lot more power than you think that you than you would think. And I would like at this point to ask my good buddy, the political junkie and, and lifelong activist, to talk about a little bit his experiences dealing with the state government in Springfield, Illinois. So AJ, some examples of just the power that they have and the frustration that you felt trying to deal with them because of lack of political opponents. Well, and that's the thing is... In Illinois, it is primarily uh, Democratic control and everything. And from a person who's been to Springfield many times, been in the Capitol building, um, it's really unnerving at times when you have to go into um, certain offices and you have to talk to certain people, um, both on the Republican and the Democratic side, just to... Um, you know, get a certain piece of legislation passed or at least have a conversation saying, you know, I would like to have this kind of legislation be brought to the floor and everything. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole nuances of Illinois General Assembly because that is just boring and that's for another show. But, you know, my experience has been both positive and negative because, you know, I've you know, walked into offices and talked to people like LaShawn Ford of the 8th District, Art Turner of the 9th District, Greg Harris of the 13th District. Um, I even talked to certain Republicans, such as like Dave McSweeney from the 52nd, um, Dawn Abernathy from the 59th. And, you know, all in all, I mean, we've had pleasant conversations, whether we meet eye to eye on issues is a whole different other category. But, you know, it's just so interesting when you talk to them and then when you start hearing things like, well, I have to go and talk to certain people because there is a certain um, somewhat protocol they have to do and everything. But there's also something called like their agenda. So it's really interesting when you talk to all of these um, legislators in the General Assembly in Illinois and trying to you know, talk to that certain person, try and talk to that certain whip, try and talk to a certain majority or minority leader and everything. Um, I, I would like to correct myself in saying that right, currently um, we have in the state of Illinois more Democrats than Republicans. Um, there's 71 Democrats to the 47 Republicans that are currently in the House of Representatives and everything. And all the People, the races that Nick just listed off that have no opposition, that's like 62% of the entire House that does not have opposition. That is a huge number and something that everyone should really take note of because it says one of two things, um, that these are safe people with uh, certain backing, whether it's Mike Madigan, who's the Speaker of the House, um, or the Republicans have no one in that district that they should run and everything. 
or or secondly, this is what I just said. You know, there's no one on the Republican or Democratic bench to run someone against like Sonia Harper of the Sixth District at, uh, for a Republican um, opponent. Or you go to the 82nd district against Jim Durkin, who's a Republican. There's no Democrat for that person. Um, and I've had those experiences also where, you know, trying to get someone to run in opposition against a Republican and you start hearing things from the Democratic Party side saying, you know, you know it's, it's, it, I'm glad you're running, but, right. you know, it's not the race that we want to run in and everything. Well, you told a story once of how you were trying to get somebody onto the ballot and you were just looking for a little bit of help from the Democratic Party. Um, and they fought, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, it was for a state legislator, was it not? Or was it for Congress? No, it was for a state legislator. It was, um, well, okay, so. Yeah, I like, that- I love this story. You've told it before, but tell it again. I love this story. So the, 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 the abridged version of the story is this. Um, a friend of mine wanted to run for state rep in the old um, 90th district um, in my area as a re- Republican. He was a young guy, reached out to me to be his campaign manager. Good guy? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I mean. You wouldn't was, take it if, it if it was a bad guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just no. saying. No, I'm, that's my point. Like, I, if you're backing somebody, I tend to think that they at least are interested in actually working towards solving problems. That was my point. Sorry to interrupt. Continue. No, no, no. I was silent for all of 30 seconds. AJ, you know how I am about that, right? Um, no, uh, no. Chris was a good guy, and you know, I was very honored for him to ask me to be his campaign manager. And so, while we were drafting up his. Uh, you know, plan for running for the race and everything. Um, for one reason or another, he had to bow out. And so when we had that conversation, he just turned to me. He goes, well, why don't you run? You know the district. You know the people, et cetera, et cetera. So I had to go back to the two um, county parties that the district made up. And essentially said, you know, Chris is not running. I'm going to run. Here's the plan. I need money. Um, I need volunteers. I need a core team, um, and what have you. And both county parties, their chairs have told me directly, uh, and this is about around oh six oh seven um, race um, that time and everything for the oh eight race. And so they looked at me and they said, "Well, you know, we appreciate that you're running, but um, it's a race that." we're not interested in because we had to get Obama elected onto Illinois at the time and everything. And, you know, the incumbent is just going to win. And you have to understand that incumbent was in office for 12 years as Republican who sat on the education committee for the House as the minority leader and everything and didn't do diddly squat as a legislator whatsoever. The only thing he's done as a legislator at the time, was actually put the words um, life when it comes to what, um, he was a very pro-life Republican, so he had to put life in a piece of legislation when it comes to, you know, abortions and everything. And his other claim to fame was passing what I consider uh, an anti-dog bill. So essentially any species, any breeds of dogs were on this piece of legislation and if they attacked anybody then they would be put down automatically so this is the person we had to deal with and they're telling me that it's great that i'm running but they have no interest in participating in everything and um i haven't told you this nick but i mean this happened to me again recently of expressing a local race in my town and Unfortunately, the same thing happened again. You know, some people were enthusiastic about it. And then when I asked, you know, here's this meeting, here's a time. And they said, you know, again, I'm glad you want to do this, but I'm not going to support you in terms of like being your campaign, but I may vote for you when the time comes. Oh, great. Thank you. That's a a, a hello, fuck you, goodbye. You know, you have really illuminated for me a lot of times recently that. There are people on both sides of the aisle who legitimately want to do good. 
And they try to enter the system to either make changes or just try to do the job the right way. And the number, the, the amount of resistance that finances and time cause you to not be able to do some of the most basic stuff that you want to be able to do, which is honestly, you're not even saying like you want to go out there to like firebomb somebody else's campaign. You just want issues talked about that you care about in an election and you can't even get those issues brought forward because of the bureaucratic party nonsense that takes place in the state of Illinois. Well, not only that, but you also have um, certain progressive and liberals, um, and I'm speaking mostly for the Republican Party right now, certain progressive and liberals who feel that there's a particular candidate they want to get behind, but even though that candidate means well, they are not, how should I say this, they're not, they're part of the system, but they're the antithesis to the actual progress that needs to happen, especially in Illinois. Um, hopefully we're going to get into one of the candidates here in a second on here in Illinois because um, there's one candidate in particular that's very interesting who's, you know, I've met him a few times, nice guy. He's probably the only um, incumbent who actually calls me by my first name when he sees me, you know, and we're talking yeah. periods that we don't see each other. You know, others like, hey, how are you? What's your name again? This guy's like, oh, hey, AJ, how you doing? And this is like the only guy I can probably like somewhat vote for because he knows my name. You know, it's, it's simple shit like that. I like that. I like that. You're going to vote for somebody just because they know who you are. That's well, funny. It, but isn't that but true, though? But it's a huge, <laughs> but it is. It's a huge thing. It's why, what do they say about it? It's politics in New Hampshire is door-to-door sales. Right. Because you literally have to go to like every resident and basically introduce yourself. Otherwise, they're not going to vote for you. And Illinois, in a lot of the, especially in small towns, I've got to, now granted, I'm a suburb boy, as you call it. I call myself a city kid. You call me a suburb kid. I call myself a megapolypse kid now. But up here, it's not like that. Like, you generally hear somebody's name. If somebody you know knows them, you may vote for them. You may not, depending on what that person tells you who knows them. But it's, it's a different reality. But when you're talking about 62% of races where there are no issues being discussed, that's the thing that bugs me the most. There are serious problems facing this country in every aspect of it. I want to give some people an example of what I'm talking about here, though, when we say that state legislators have power. They really do. In Missouri, uh, they legal. this is in 2014, after their... Uh, Legislator came into the thing. They passed Missouri passed a law allowing people to shoot for just being near your property if you feel threatened. Okay, so they don't have to be on your property. They don't have to be breaking into your house. If someone is standing on the street in front of your house and looking menacing, you have the right to take a shot at them. That's actually a law, by the way, AJ. I'm not making mm-hmm. that up. Well, I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, Florida City has made it illegal for homeless people to have any property of any kind. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by property is, I don't mean that they own land. I mean that they can't own the tent that they're living in. Right. Okay. Because they have nowhere to keep their stuff. As as, Gotta have a place for your stuff. Thank you, George Carlin. Double chest. Point to the sky. (laughs) Um, Oklahoma has banned increases in the minimum wage in their state re- representative, meaning that if the federal government passes a state minimum wage, there is a, st- or a federal minimum wage raise. The state has made it illegal for them to do so. Now, I have no idea how that works because the federal government does have the right to override you, but Oklahoma has decided that, nope, it's just illegal to raise the minimum wage. So 20 years from now, it's still going to be $10.10 because that's enough for you to make a living on working three part-time jobs. For those of you, ladies and gentlemen, by the way, who don't know what that would take, eight hours a day at $10 an hour, that's $80, 30% of which goes away to taxes. So that's what you're supposed to live on is essentially, and I'm terrible with math, but let's call that what, $60 a day, roughly? So that's what you got to live on, $60 a day. Enjoy that, if you, especially if you have kids. Uh, Oklahoma has also public or put into or into law punishments for people who make solar and wind producers. They've added an extra layer of tax for people trying to use renewable energy. And I would imagine that that sounds crazy to you. Like, why would anyone care? It's because they're paid for by the uh, oil lobby in Oklahoma and Texas to make sure that people still use fossil fuels because those companies don't want to lose any bit of their profit margin. This is. One And I've got one more. And I swear to God, this one is true. The state of Tennessee 
to protect their railroad and uh, infrastructure lobbyists have outlawed the idea of a high-speed mass transit system. Now, if you don't know what that means, because it sounds like something out of Star Trek, here's what they're talking about. If any of you have ever been to Disney World and ridden the monorail and heard the phrase, por favor, mantenga alejado a las puertas, which is a very, very bad way in Spanish of saying, please stand clear of the doors. That's what they're talking about, is the new train system. There's the magnetic train, high-speed trains. High-speed rail is actually something that could really revolutionize this country. But because we still have old railroad lobbyists fighting, fighting against it, it will never move forward. These are just five examples across the country of what happens in state legislators, state legislatures when they are allowed to run unopposed, when their power is not questioned by anybody. And... This is happening again in the state of Illinois, as you said earlier, and I've said now 62% of races are running unopposed. Conversations aren't happening. Conversations about uh, what to do about pollution in the, uh, and climate change, what to do about minimum wage, what to do about the state budget crisis. The, the people who vote on it are running unopposed. Remember that budget crisis that we all had this last couple of years? Yeah, no one is running. 62% of the people who were involved in that are running unopposed. And if you don't think that that makes Mike Madigan ecstatic, you're out of your mind. And no matter what you think, Democrat or Republican, this state has been in a weird style of gridlock for so long that we have literally screwed ourselves with our pants on. And it literally, I like using literally wrong. It's it's just that thing where we are allowing this to happen collectively. I've had an argument for a long time that for those of you who don't know, I am completely 100% against capital punishment. And the reason that I'm against capital punishment is not because I don't believe that there are some criminals who deserve to die. Absolutely. There are some who do many have, many have deserved it. However, there have been numerous instances across the country where people have been put to death and evidence later exonerated them. When that happens, whether or not we all like to admit it, we have all been complicit in the murder of an innocent person. So you can sit there and fight me on that and say, well, it was a mistake. I said, yes, but it's a mistake that cost somebody their lives in a way that we could have prevented. And that is why I'm against capital punishment. When it comes to issues that are facing the state, it's, it's in a way... We, because we are allowing these races to run 62% unopposed, we are compl all complicit in the failure of the government. And I think, AJ, that's actually, you know, we were going to talk about unopposed races, but I think that this gets into a bigger issue because there are a lot of people who are saying they're just not going to vote. And when you don't vote, the whole annoying thing that you hear from people, well, if you don't vote, you don't have a right to talk about policy. I think that that's stupid. You should always, if somebody tells you that they don't vote, ask them why. Try to figure it out. Don't try to convert them over. Don't preach at them. I know that that's your instinct. It's my instinct too. But, you know, have the conversation. But if you are just allowing people to run with no one standing against them and challenging them and their beliefs, you are allowing the system to run itself, which is how a bureaucracy grows to the level that it has that we no longer have any control of it. And that is the danger of people running unopposed. Is, is there anything I said in there, AJ, that you disagree with? No, there isn't, but I think I want to um, add this to it. I, I, I really feel, and I've said this before many times over, that if, if Mike Madigan was not in the picture at all, half of these people who are running unopposed on the Democratic Party side would not be running for office. Yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, and if you look at this, if you look at the list in Illinois, um, people like uh, Christian Mitchell in the 26th district, which is like Hyde Park, um, Kenwood area of the south side of Chicago. Uh, Christian Mitchell was um, Tony Pretwinkle's chief of staff at one point. He worked for Obama and everything. Um, he's a very young, up and coming um, Democratic Party machine person. You know, and he has ties to Mike Madigan. Um, you look at some on the Republican side, you have these old um, white men um, like Bob Pritchard over in DeKalb, Illinois, in DeKalb County, who that's pretty much the 70th district um, right there. Um, he's ran on a pose for decades. You know, he's been there for 12 plus years that I know of. Um, so, th I mean, you have all these things, and to say that 
you know, I'm not going to vote for a particular person because they're going to win. Well, that's true. But, you know, I, at least, you know, that's also an opportunity, I feel, that since they're running unopposed, then you have an onslaught of opportunity to voice the concerns that you have. You know? So even though you're going to vote against, say, um, Barbara Wheeler of the 64th because she's running unopposed, you can still ask the same questions um, as if you're the candidate yourself because um, those things need to be voiced and everything. So just because you're running unopposed does not mean you still cannot voice the issues because who knows, you may make someone turn R to D or actually sway them on the very issue that you're um, pushing for and everything. No, I agree with you on that, that you can definitely have the conversation, but it is, there is a power in having an opposition candidate. Of course. I mean, obviously, right? I, that's right. that. That's not able to be disputed. So as much as, listen, the one thing I will, AJ, I got to always agree with you on is that, yes, you should always participate as much as you can in the implementation and the discussion of policy. That absolutely needs to happen. However, without having anybody standing there and forcing them into a debate or to address certain races or even better to make people accountable for the votes that they have made or for the bills that they have stalled in committee in the legislature and really make sure that these people understand that they cannot run it like a fiefdom here in the city of chicago you know, we, we, we talk all the time about the political machine, and I, I've covered this before, but I want to cover it again about the dirty side of politics, because this is important that people understand of what can happen in, in, in a system where power is left unchecked. Here in the city of Illinois, here in the city of Illinois, in the city of Chicago, we have aldermen, okay? Every alderman, I think if you were to call them a shah of their neighborhood, AJ, would not be that far off, would you say? No, that's probably accurate. Okay. Aldermen, by the way, are the only politicians in the country that are legally allowed to carry firearms. I didn't know if people knew that or not. Uh, there's only been one alderman who's ever exercised that, right? I learned that in a seventh grade field trip. The thing that is important to understand, though, when it comes to aldermen is, and we're going to focus on a simple little thing here, and it's called driveways. You have a driveway. I have a driveway. You've pulled through driveways. You've gone onto driveways into things. There's a, something that happens in the, in the city of Chicago, and they are called driveway permits. Now, I have dealt with this issue personally a few times. Driveway permits, which means the ability to add a driveway to an already existing property. If you buy a restaurant and you want to add a parking lot or you want to add a secondary entrance to a parking lot to alleviate traffic, any number of reasons that you would ever want to add an easement, even, by the way, a handicapped ramp entrance to a restaurant through a sidewalk where they divot, you know what I'm talking about, AJ, where they divot down the sidewalk right. so a, a, a wheelchair can get up it. Right. You have to apply for what's called a driveway permit. AJ, have you ever dealt with the driveway permits? No. Okay. Let me tell you how this works, ladies and gentlemen. First you go, let's say you want to build a driveway on a 7-Eleven property that you have bought and you want to turn it into, I don't know, Nick and AJ's Euro slash yogurt stand. Um, and we decide we're going to open it and we go in and we get the first, we register the corporation, which costs money. Then we register, um, with the state of Illinois, state of Illinois, which costs money to get our sales tax number, which is what you use, ladies and gentlemen, to pay your sales tax. Then we get our federal ID number, our FEIN number, which is what you use to report income to the federal government so you can pay your taxes on the business through there. Now that we've gone through those three processes, which theoretically should be enough, now we've gone to the bank. We've applied for the loan. We now own, we, we applied for a loan with a different bank. We bought the property from, a, from whoever owned the 7-Eleven beforehand. Okay, so that is now five steps that we have gone through just to get to the point where we are able to operate a business on the property, all right? All of that that I said, by the way, is not simple and takes months to achieve. But let's say that we did it. Let's say we put the 10 months in that it would take to get all of that done, okay? Now we need to get a license for business in the city of Chicago, which we get. That's another month. Now we are 10 months deep. Now we want to add the driveway so that we can have people pull in and pull out. We can make a one-way uh, parking lot so that people can tune turn in off of let's say Sheffield and then cut over to Clark right I, I think those streets make up doesn't matter they don't actually not think about let's say we're on let's say we're at Addison and Pulaski 
and we want to make it so that people can turn into the parking lot off of Addison but turn back onto Pulaski, allowing people to move in a clockwise circle through our parking lot. Make sense to everybody so far? Great. You're you're making this fictional business real. I know. That's fine. (laughs) But you've got to understand what I'm talking about for me to be able to truly do this. So now all we want to do, all we want to do is take the property through the business that we have filed for a corporation, filed for sales tax, filed for federal tax, filed for federal uh, withholding tax for unemployment, that we have gotten a business license for. Let's say we wanted to serve liquor, and God forbid we did because there's another five months of trying to get a liquor license. We have gone through all of those steps. Now, all we want to do is take a small piece of closed-off property, which we own, AJ, and add a driveway. We have to go to the city alderman. And no matter what we have done, no matter how many recommendations we have from the neighborhood, if we walk into the alderman's office and present it all to him, it is solely and totally under the alderman's discretion to say yes or no. There is no criteria for him to make that decision. There is no checklist for them to do it. And I say his because it's easier because most aldermen are men. But he or she can approve or deny it for any reason. They They are not accountable to anybody in that decision. And this is how the conversation usually goes. Uh, we're going to say that you're the alderman, AJ, okay? okay. Mr. Signary, I'm here on behalf of a- AJ and Nick's Euro and Yogurt Shop, here to be opened up on Addison and Pulaski. We would really like it if we could add a driveway because we want to do the counterclockwise with well, the whole thing I explained. We want to do all of that. And you would look at me and go, oh, that's very great. It's, I'm really happy. You know, we're, we're, we're an area of the city. You know, we're 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 really happy to get new businesses up and running you know it's really great i'm just curious though are you guys registered democrats who said well no actually aj is an independent and he runs a lot of stuff i consider myself a democrat but you know i haven't really been you know part of the party yet it's it's something that you know i'd like to get into a little bit later but right now i'm trying to start oh okay 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 well i'm I'm gonna ask you uh nick and aj is is there any uh significant political contributions that you've given over the last couple of years to my campaign and we would say well no you know we we're opening up this business here we don't really live here it's not really our thing oh oh i understand i understand well i would really love to give you this driveway but the truth is i'm up for re-election in a few months or, or in 18 months and and I, it's really going to take a lot for me to be able to do it so you know i'm just saying that we may not have the time to do the proper inspection and the proper work to get your driveway approved at the moment you know if if, 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 I, if I was assured re-election you know through campaign contributions it would really go a long way for me to be able to have the time to put into the driveway do you see what happened there ladies and gentlemen the alderman did not ask us for a bribe he merely pointed out that for him to get it done is going to take a lot of work on his effort on his part so maybe we could alleviate some of the fundraising stress you see how that little just a little game of language there makes all the difference. Put it to another way. You want to build a driveway in the city of Chicago, you got to go to an alderman and kiss the ring. This is now starting to happen in the state of Illinois because people are running unopposed. So if you want anything done that revolves, involves the state legislature, i got a friend of mine whose sister is trying to start a, a, a horse sanctuary, essentially, a farm animal sanctuary. And the, this is in Wisconsin. And the number of hoops and inspections and BS that she has had to jump through throughout the state of Wisconsin, because we, we at least have a Democratic majority. People tend to let you do a little bit more here. Up there, where it's Republican strongholds, she She's been fighting for three years just to be able to get to the point where she can finally take these animals that are dying and give them a home. That is the danger of people running unopposed. Uh, uh, Rant over. Driveway rant over. By the way, are we now opening Nick and AJ's yogurt shop? It seems like a sound business. I was going to say, you made everything seem legit. Yeah, no, I've, well, I've done this for a number of people. Like, I know how to start a business in Chicago because I've had to do it through uh, some of my father's clients. It's, it's just, it, but the idea of the amount of bureaucracy you've got to go through to get to that point is crazy. And because the budget, by the way, because the, the legislature has been so bad for the last 10 years with revenue and budgets, I got to tell you, you'll love this. We were an accounting office here at my dad's office. And he gets letters every once in a while from the IRS. Oh, so-and-so didn't pay taxes and we need, you know, we're auditing or whatever. He got an audit letter uh, about a, three weeks ago. You want to know for what year they're auditing? Uh, this year? 2000. Oh, no, I'm sorry, not 2000. 1998. 
1998. They literally are so broke. They're going for any tax that they can conceive of that people owe. They went back and sent a letter requesting files and information going all the way back to 1998. Now, legally, you are only required to keep records for seven years. Right. So they don't even really have the right to ask for it. But they can hit you with the bill. And if you can't prove that you paid it, you owe it. This is what's happening right now. Of course. So people, unopposed elections, very bad, I think is the general idea of what we're saying. Oh, yeah. Before we get out of here for the day, because this is our Friday show, folks, we're probably going to run it a little bit less time than normal. But should we talk about Alec a little bit? Just let people know what that is. They can find out on their own. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, Again, it's the American Legislative Executive Council. I believe that's what it stands for. I want to double check. Just want to make sure we get it always right, folks, because if you're going to say something, say it. Yeah, it's council. Yeah, okay. So this is an organization. They are part of a think tank, and they are supported mainly by fossil fuel industry and uh, basically... If you picture the evil Republicans at the base of the volcano, this is the group that puts out their agenda towards all the small things. It is an organization that has presented laws all across the country following a similar agenda. And the danger in that is you have a national group dictating to states this is how they should vote, and then they put money into the coffers of the people supporting the laws that they have proposed. This organization is a private think tank that is trying to run the country at a local government level. And AJ can probably speak to this a little bit better than I can. Oh, where do you start? I mean, yeah, um, Alec, I think he's been around since um, 73, if I remember right. Um, And it's only became more apparent um, in the political landscape in the last probably four years only because you've had a lot of people graduate from ALEC. Um, They do a lot of trainings, they do workshops, and John Boehner is a student from ALEC, Scott Walker is, um, Chris Christie is, Mike Pence is. Everything that we're seeing now who is either a governor, um, a high-ranking official, or the alike um, came out of ALEC. And they do a lot for, you know, uh, education, state budgets, pension reform, tax reform, businesses, and they essentially develop policy. And they essentially hand it to people say, you know, here's a draft of the policy. You can either take this as a template, take the name off, hopefully, put your name in, date it, and then just pass it around. Or just use a template of what you know you would like to push through to put in your own language for your own state, and do the same thing. Um, so that's the more Republican conservative side for um, that side, Alec, and everything. The Democrats have the same thing. There's a Democratic leadership council. Um, you know, uh, um, I always forget their name. Um, not the Heritage Foundation. The Brookings Institute does the same thing also. Um, they're more of a liberal think tank, and they do a lot of policy and everything as well. And they've been around for um, decades. I think they've been around for a hundred years. I want to say so. Yeah, but um, Brookings Institute has gone out of its way to try to remain independent. They try to, yeah, they try to. Um, Alec is a little bit more well, no, aggressive you know, I, when it comes to policy. I, I want to get into this because something happened with me over the weekend, and it kind of ties to what you just said. And, and it's really important to me that we get this idea out there. So there's been this conversation going on for a while now. And if you talk to Trump supporters, this is what they will say, that there is a media bias against Donald Trump and that they are painting him in a negative light. And then they will say the same thing about conservative issues all across the country. And you will say, like, the Brookings Institute is a great example. You know, oh, they try to be. But here's what I'm going to say, and, I, and it, it, it's, it's mildly controversial, I guess. I don't know, because I think you agree with me. It is not bias. It is not bias when an organization points out the truth, and the truth happens to stand in opposition to what you believe. 
That is not bias. That is the truth. And the fact that we simply have people saying, well, that's liberal bias media. And you want to, it's getting to the point where I want to stand up and go, no, you ignorant racist piece of shit it is the truth you just don't like the truth so you call it biased now i'm not going to get into like the individual stuff with the brookings institute but the truth is yeah they have a progressive agenda do you know why they have a progressive agenda because progressive agendas throughout history going all the way back to the motherfucking roman empire have historically been proven accurate Every single conservative agenda has always fallen to progressive ideals. In some cases, harder than others, but conservative agendas destroy civilizations. Would you agree with me, AJ? Mm -hmm. If you are not moving forward, you are dying. And the Illinois state legislator, with 62% of its people running unopposed, is now whether or not they're progressive or democrat or whatever the fact that they are unopposed means they get to stand there and not have to change a single one of their beliefs because they are not challenged on them at all and the fact that people come out and say oh so and so is biased so and so you know oh msnbc is biased cnn is biased cbs is biased fox is biased abc is biased and you go through and they list every news organization fox news is the truth and fairness okay so in your fucked up world 17 news organizations are wrong and one is right that's that thing of what somebody looks at you and says hey you're acting kind of crazy and you go bullshit but then seven of your friends also tell you that you're acting crazy you're not they are not all insane you're the crazy one so when people start saying bias 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 i'm really starting to lose my mind with it because the truth is it's not bias it just happens to be right alec is wrong they are def they are literally protecting big business interests at the behest of big business because they are funded by big business and I am really getting tired of having to defend this idea of a bias. I don't believe that there's a bias. I believe there is right and there is wrong. And I'm, I watch MSNBC. I don't think that, the, yeah, they, are they liberally skewed? Sure. But most liberal agendas in this country, I think, are accurate. I think that gays should have the right to get married. I think that women should have the right to choose. I think that it is not on you and your religious beliefs to tell me how to live my life. Because here's the thing, Christian conservatives. If Scientologists became the majority, we would all be praying to fucking Zeno. Or against him. I'm not really sure how that religion works. I just know that there's an alien named Zeno involved. Oh, in Scientology? Yeah, I'm just saying... Because that's my thing, AJ. They always go, oh, well, it's a conservative, it's a Christian conservative country. Okay, well, I'm not a Christian conservative, but I am somehow beholden to Christian values? No. If I want to get naked, cover myself in green jelly, green jello, and walk through my house yelling, God sucks, that is my right. Which, for the record, is how I spend my Fridays when I'm alone. It's not important. And, and, you know, and for the most part, you are right, you know, and, you know, Trump says bias, but, you know, anytime I look at, um, MSNBC, um, Fox News, which is more apparent. Um, you know, I don't say, I guess, I don't know about bias, but, you know, MSNBC does lean more to the Democratic Party side than they would Republicans. And Fox, obviously, does the same thing. And the same way with, like, private institutes like the Brookings Institute, the Heritage Foundation, the American Enterprise Institute, the Cato Institute, um, the New Democracy Institute. You know, all of them have leanings. That are both that support Democrats and Republicans. You have like institutions like the Hampton Institute, which is like the only working class think tank that works with a lot of activists like myself, who are actually trying to put forward either policy or put articles out to talk about. You know, while MSNBC is doing this, while Heritage Foundation is doing that. You know, here's our analysis. Here is you know the conversations is that really being talked about and everything. So. So in most part, I do agree with you. I, I personally would say that you know mo, ma majority of the mainstream media does lead one way or another. They try to be as objective as possible, but I just feel that they, they sway one way or another. But, but doesn't the swaying of one way or another, doesn't the fact that an organization like CNN which we can talk forever about missing airplanes and the breaking news mm -hmm. tag that never goes down, but they're a news organization. And I don't believe that Anderson Cooper shows up and goes, hey, how can I pursue and push forward a liberal agenda? I think Anderson Cooper shows up to work and goes, 
you know, with his producers and the writers and every and all the reporters and everything that works on CNN and goes, all right, what are the stories today? What's actually happening? How do we present it in a way that will get people to watch? I think that is the bias. I think the bias is how do we turn a serious issue into something that will get ratings? Well, number one thing is we dumb it down. And we make it seem like it's a lot simpler than it actually is so that people can understand it. Look, we have conversations going on in the national election right now about national security, about cybersecurity. <laughs> we have a lot of conversations about cybersecurity. Uh, and, and ignoring all of Trump's bullshit and just focusing on the policies that he chooses to, to stand by. Uh, a wall, the Muslim ban, repealing Obamacare and replacing it with something terrific. Okay. And all of that shit. It's possible that he's wrong on all of those issues, correct? Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean a bias. That's just a thing. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is anymore. I just know that I'm sick and tired of hearing a liberal bias. I don't believe in that. I, I really don't. I believe that there is a bias towards entertainment. I do not believe that people... You've worked in media. I've worked in actual... Big Fortune 500 media companies. Mm -hmm. I was with ABC Radio. I was with here in Chicago WCPT, which also was WKIF, which was also my FM. There's about seven different stations in one building. And let me tell you something. That would be part of the liberal media. We were a liberal talk station. And let me tell you what never happened. Not a single member of the Democratic Party ever showed up at our thing and went, no, you can't say that. No, you can't say that. People are saying what they believe on those things. I am a progressive. No, and, 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 and absolutely. I mean, I don't think, you know, you look at a show like Scandal and, you know, supposedly the chief of staff, you know, goes and brings a whole bunch of people from the media into a room and saying, you know, here's the talking points go. I, I, I would like to believe that doesn't happen. But having said that, and I think you would agree with me on this, is that even though someone like Anderson Cooper who doesn't get a phone call from the Clinton campaign say, you know, talk about this, not talk about that. But he, through his own medium, right, can ask softball questions versus hardball questions. And how many times have you seen him interview someone that is a little bit more Democratic Party-leaning or liberal-leaning, where he kind of, uh, I don't know about glosses over the... the the, the issue, but, you know, sets them the question up versus someone who's like a Dick Cheney or, um, uh, you know what I'm saying? No, I see what you're saying. I, and there is a little bit of truth to that. But again, I would go back to the idea that, look, you're interviewing Hillary Clinton. You're interviewing Dick Cheney. Let's say on the same night, you are going to have very different questions for those two people. One there's an email issue and some personal stuff. The other may be Darth Vader. So, you know, what are you supposed to do? But I would also say that you, you can go the other way with it. Jimmy Fallon has Donald Trump on and ruffles his hair and makes him seem human. Stephen Colbert has Donald Trump on and doesn't press him for anything. And this is Stephen Colbert. You know, I'm really excited. For those of you who don't know, tonight, it's Friday, November 4th. Tonight, Bill Maher has the President of the United States on his show for the first time in his administration. Did you know that, AJ? Really? Yeah, Bill Maher finally got the president after that they had a change.org petition. They really tried to force this the last couple of years. And so tonight, Bill Maher is going to sit down with the president. Now, let me tell you what the thing is. In your head, you're like, well, this is Bill Maher. He's fearless. He doesn't care about anything. Do you really think Bill Maher is going to walk into the Oval Office or wherever they do it, which would probably be the East Room of the White House. I am a political junkie. And sit down and have a conversation with Barack Obama and immediately laugh with, so you weren't born in the United States. I mean, like, he might do it for comedy, but he's not going to go after Obama for the really deep shit. He's not going to, he's going to ask him politely about the emails. He's going to ask him about Trump, but you can't go up to the president of the United States or a candidate for the president of the United States and play gotcha journalism. People pointed to um, the first question of the first debate with, uh, oh, what the hell, he's from here. Who was the moderator of the first debate? Lester, Lester Holt. Holt. Thank you. Lester Holt, you know, sits there and his first question is, you know, you've called women this, you've said that, and everyone goes, well, that's clearly liberal bias. But the next question he asked Hillary Clinton is a laundry list of things that she had done wrong in regards to the email. Neither one of them, by the way, answered the question and neither one of them were forced to. 
This is the problem that I have. These are the these are the issues that are facing us just in this political. We can't even have an election go down correctly, let alone have a serious discussion about the Illinois state budget and why it's so out of control. And the main reason being tax incentives for large corporations that are raking in hundreds of billions of dollars in profit. And we can't get a piece of it for the government because if we try to force them to pay their taxes, they're going to leave the state. This whole thing is insane. And, and, and it, it's just getting to the point, the more that we talk about it, the more that we get into it, 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 it seems like it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. But the first step, ladies and gentlemen, is having opponents for races so that the issues can at least be discussed. I think that that's a good spot to stop. What do you think? Well. All right. AJ, anything to mention is coming up this weekend. Going into Monday, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to do two shows in a row. We're going to do a show on Monday, which will preview the election the day before, let you know where to go for what information, probably play a little bit of the Bill Maher interview with uh, Barack Obama, depending on how that goes. We'll set that up. And then Tuesday night, possibly Wednesday morning, depending on what time. I'll tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, if the election is called at 9 o'clock, we're going to do a show. If it's not called until midnight, then AJ and I will do a show on Wednesday morning. We'll have it up right away. But we're going to set up the election on Monday. Watch the coverage on Tuesday. I may have a couple special guests, some friends of mine, a couple experts, pop onto the podcast if I can get them to log in over Skype with us and, and do a show um, either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning to talk about the election. And then probably Thursday or Friday, we'll have a nice long discussion about either Donald Trump's victory speech, which I imagine will look like a Nuremberg rally, or a... What I, I I honestly cannot wait to hear Donald Trump say the words "I lost," which you know he will not say. Oh no, he's uh, gonna try everything in his damnedest to go around the word saying "I lost," right? Or I, actually, or I concede. Yeah, which I don't think he will, and we'll have that discussion on Monday. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for listening, for downloading. Please uh, listen to us as much as you can. We've got a lot of great shows from the past that you can uh, check out. We are going to start talking to you guys about a special um, event that we've got going on. Some of you will know what it is. Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, AJ, do what you do and say goodbye. Bye, people. This has been Chicago Podcast Network's Out Front with AJ and Nick. I am Nick Serranos. That was AJ Signeri. You can find us on Facebook, Chicago Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter, Chi-Town Podcast One. And you can email us on Gmail, Chicago Podcast Network at gmail.com. Get your friends out to vote. Tell everybody to listen to our show. Please like us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Let the world know that you are a loyal listener of the Chicago Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, the only thing left to say at this particular time is... I guess we could call this a cliffhanger, almost a uh, Walking Dead season finale because America may be dead come Tuesday night. We'll see you guys on Monday. Uh, get ready for the election. We out! Go Blackhawks. Damn right. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. <laughs> You have been listening to the Chicago Podcast Network.